You're listening to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio, inspiring ideas, inspiring families. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Family Rules, the podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Walker. Today, we are teeing up a topic that I'm just going to say I have a love-hate relationship with more professionally than personally, and I'll, I'll tell you why. I've been working in media now for almost 15 years, and during those 15 years, we are constantly surveying, if you will, our audience, our listeners, our viewers, asking what type of topics they want to hear more or learn more about. And constantly, consistently, without fail, the topic of finances makes the top five, if not the top three, every single time. And here's where the love-hate relationship comes into play with that topic of finances. We'll prepare the content, we'll put it out there, and ultimately the viewership or the ratings just doesn't live up. And I kind of get it, right, as a mom. It's something that we know we should be worried about, we know we should have our eye on, but yet talking about dollar signs and budgets and spreadsheets, it can be overwhelming to say the least, which is why I am excited for today's conversation because we're going to reframe the idea of family finances in a way that's hopefully more approachable. In fact, it's, it's almost like a little game. Instead of referring to family finances or budgets or spreadsheets, we're going to talk about a family economy and how you can turn a little game into an opportunity to promote responsibility, good stewardship, and ultimately ownership in your kids and grandkids. And I say grandkids because we know grandparents are an important part of family life. Grandparents have a unique ability to pass on wisdom, to pass on love from one generation to the next. So we'll turn now to a set of grandparents who believe money and hard work should be at the top of our lesson plan, if you will. Richard and Linda Iyer know these kinds of lessons are essential to teach their own posterity. They feel so strongly about it, in fact. They wrote a book called The Entitlement Trap, which will be at the heart of our topic today. I'm so excited to welcome Richard and Linda Iyer to Family Rules, the podcast. How are you two? We're great. We're How are you, Brooke? Really good. Oh, I'm doing good in this crazy, coming off this crazy 2020 COVID year. How have you been doing? <laughs> We're ready to say good riddance to 2020. We... We're not going to have a New Year's Eve party. We're going to have a good riddance old year party. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you. all learned a lot from all this craziness. We, it has been an amazing year. We really have had a, an incredible time. Well, when you aren't living and writing in the mountains of Park City, you're, you're typically, usually, in any other year on an airplane, I know, trying to keep up with your nine children. And what's the count at? I, I assume we've grown from our last, our last conversation. I think you were at 29 grandkids last time we talked. Oh, wow. We're, yeah. up, we're up to 33. 33. We've, been, we've been busy. 33. <laughs> we just had twins two months ago in London. So that's fun. That adds up fast. Oh, that's amazing. So how have you been staying connected as a family when airplanes and travel and gatherings haven't been the usual traditional option this last year? like we're doing with you we've yeah. become zoom, experts zoom, on zoom that we've been giving all our speeches on zoom and that's a lot better than getting on an airplane i'll tell you <laughs> pajamas on the bottom business on the top yeah right <laughs> i love it i love it well let's dive in you two this this topic of family finances i don't know if you heard heard my setup remarks but i find it something it's information people crave and when push comes to shove it can feel a little overwhelming and challenging to really take on daunting if you will do we make this concept of family finances too hard well let's make it a let's put a little new twist on it brooke because 
We're not, we're not so much into the family finances for the parents. We're into how do we give our kids the motivation and the incentive to learn to understand money and how to use it and how to save it and how to spend it and how to give it. And we live in a world where that's much harder. We often start off our speeches by just asking an audience, how many of you had a job when you were young? It absolutely is so so fun to do that because we have often spoken to the Young Presidents Organization all over the world. And these are people who do have a lot of money and have uh, managed it well, but they don't know what to do with their kids because... Mm. Any of them are entitled. And and the first thing we do is say, how many of you had a job when you were kids? And almost everyone Out of the home. Hand. And they'll say, oh, I had a paper route. I babysat. I worked in a store. I mowed lawns. I did this. I did that. And, and they get excited about it because the next thing we say is, what did you learn from that? Oh, I learned to show up. I learned to be motivated. I learned to be on time. I learned to handle money. Then we throw the kicker in. We say, how many of your children have those kind of jobs today? And there are no no hands. (laughs) No, there are a few. There are a few. There's like, (laughs) oh, yeah, I have a pizza place. They work there and so on. But those who do have children that are working, I mean, obviously teenagers, but it really, their eyes light up. And yes, my kid knows how to work and they get money and and we need to know how to tell them how to manage. But the message is, what are you doing with your children to give them those same learning experiences that you had as a child, as a young person, when you mowed lawns or when you babysat or you had a paper route and so on? And, and they don't know. And what a lot of them will say is, well, we give our kids an allowance as though that were some kind of magic bullet that would suddenly teach them how to handle money and so on. And, and in fact, Brooke, most allowances, and we've polled a lot of people and been with a lot of families on this, most of them work against the motivation they're trying to teach their kids because they're a handout. They're like a welfare economy. It's like, okay, every every week, here's your $20. And the kids haven't earned that money. And the difference between earned money and handout money is an enormous difference. So, so we've developed this system over the years that we've taught now to thousands and thousands of parents where you create a little economy in your home where little children learn how to earn and how to budget and how to save and how to give. And how to really, if even we start with three-year-olds, not in a heavy way, but, you know, if they yeah. want something, they see even a candy bar. Well, let, you know, let's, let's go home and we'll make a little list of things you can do to earn that. I mean, a little truck that they see at a store that they're obsessed with or so on. Instead of just, oh gosh, let's just buy it for them. Right. It's so just a buck. It's just the dollar spot. We're going to take that idea home and use that to promote responsibility is what I'm hearing you say. Exactly. Yep. Well, and I, you should know, Brooke, that often when we give these speeches, we, we divide it into two parts. We talk about, first of all, a family legal system, laws and rules and things. Ooh. And Linda usually takes the lead on that. And then I get to say, now, how about a family economy? How do we deal with this? And this is where I, this, and so if I talk a little more on this than Linda, you'll know it's because it's the one I usually take on. <laughs> well, I do, I do have to say that Richard 
has dreamed his whole life to be a banker. And then this was his chance to be a banker at home. So when you play Monopoly, it's always Richard with cash in hand. He's the guy. Well, can I I ask both of you that question that you often ask your audiences? What what were your jobs as as children, as teenagers? What, What put money in your piggy bank? People in our age group and people, you know, up to about... 40 or so, I really did have jobs growing up. I was a paper boy. I mowed lawns all over town. I worked in Allen's ladies store, cleaning up after the store closed. And I was a babysitter. My sister and I went every day to take care of the single mom's kids. And we got 25 cents an hour. Oh we my thought goodness. that was so cool. You hit the jackpot. In the summer, but eight hours a day. In the drive-in, and then too. I worked at the AMW. Um, I was a car hop for a while, and then I and then I progressed to cook. I don't know why, because it's oh. a pay cut. But anyway, um, <laughs> it really was a good experience. And Brooke, most kids don't have that kind of jobs today, and and it's not really their fault. We live in a different world. Sure. A lot of those jobs wouldn't be even safe today, frankly. Sure. Yeah. And kids are more busy with homework. They're they're doing extracurricular things. They just haven't had those experiences. So it gets to the question, how do you set up something in your home that gives them those same motivational sort of equal pay with equal work, all those learning things? How do you do that in your house? Yeah, break down this family economy for us then, because it sounds so official and buttoned up. What does it look like on the home front, on the ground? Well, okay, here's the deal. If I were a young parent or even a middle-aged parent with kids at home, here's how I would start. First of all, I'd get a what we call a family bank. And that the more impressive, the better. Props mean a lot yeah, with kids, yeah. as you know. Get a big chest. Get a don't have some shoebox or some little temporary thing. Get something that looks substantial. Introduce it to your children. Say, this is the family bank. It has a big lock on it. I'm the banker. I'm the one that can open it. This bank will have hours. It'll mainly be open on Saturday for a little while. And guess what? There's money in this bank that you can make deposits into and you can take money out of. In fact, here's a checkbook for you. You're old enough to sign your name and you know how to add and subtract. When you earn some money, you fill out one of these deposit slips and you can put it in the bank. And when you want to get money out, you write out a little check and you take money out. And guess what? The bank pays interest. Now you well, wouldn't, wait, you now wouldn't I have think... to interject here because <laughs> the checkbooks are not very common anymore, especially <laughs> with, we started with checkbooks. But they're a great learning now tool. Now these parents have, well, they are a learning tool, but these parents have these sophisticated things online. I mean, the kids do their things online. They have kids with their own um, credit cards. It's not, it's not a credit card. It's a, but a system of sorts, like an app or a, yeah. They, cards, they, could, they that, set up their own thing. But yeah. that's pretty sophisticated. I'm talking, we're talking here about maybe a seven-year-old or an or eight-year-old. Eight. Usually we start About eight. that age, they're able to compute. They're able to think about things. And then, Brooke, you get in a position where you can teach interest. Little kids can learn interest. It's amazing. They'll say, wait, you mean if I just leave my money in that family bank, it'll actually grow? And you say, yes, and here's how we'll calculate it and so on. I can almost picture the little eyes turning as the wheels inside their head turn and process this. Even at seven, eight years old, they're going to get that value, right? They're going to understand that I can buy the truck now 
or I can wait till next week and I might have a quarter more or a dollar more. Exactly right. And the bank is just the beginning because what you're leading up to is saying, now, how do you get money to go in that bank? Well, there's certain things around this house that need to be done. And who does most of them now? You can have some fun with your kids. List all the things that have to be done, and you're going to find that mom does most of them. I was going to say, they better not say dad. <laughs> mom does most of them. Yeah. Now, we get a certain amount of money that comes into this family every month, and the people who do the work should get part of the money. I mean, this is a logical thing that kids can really understand. So, Richard, now, Richard can, I, can I push pause there? What about parents who might say... I don't want to pay my kids for things that they should do anyway around the house, right? As part of family life. They're a part of this family. They're a part of this household. What's the divide between natural contributions that are just expected and the extras that will get them some money in the family bank? Yeah, you're, yeah, you're, you're jumping ahead. Good right point. Oh, good. sorry. No, no, no that's no, the, the first the, question the everybody very, asks. The very most important thing in setting this up is to help kids understand, look, there's a lots of things in this family that you're going to be doing just because you're a member of the family. Okay. And that's why we do it. But we are going to separate out three or four little things that you probably normally wouldn't do. We might even have to have a maid do them if we have some money or we would have to do. It. We're going to separate just two or three of those things out and you're going to do them. Gotcha. And you're going to keep track of when you do them. And if you do them, you're going to get paid a little because we'd have to pay someone else if you didn't do it. Maybe one of you will have the backyard. One of you will have the, the stairs. It's not going to be your own room. It's not going to be we the will things never you should pay do anyway. We your own room. Okay. Okay. But you've yeah. got to, the parents, and we don't want to be too specific because each parent has to decide what sure. are those things that they would like to have. And there shouldn't be more than three or four each day and, and maybe even less, maybe just two. And it's up to the child to remember to do those things. And then here's the neat thing. Have a little slot in the top of your family bank. And each day a child can, let's say he has three things to do. When he's done them, he writes a one, a two, or a three on a little index card and gets the one of the parents to initial it then it's official and he drops it into the, the bank. Oh, there's a sign-off. I like that. Yeah. Then on Saturday, banking hours, the bank is open and the kids get out their little cards and they total them up. And how much they get that week is directly proportionate to how many of those things they remembered to do. And you're now teaching this beautiful principle that reward is always proportionate to effort. And if you forgot to do it, and again, you need to learn as a parent to be a banker when the child says, oh, but I forgot, I should have remembered. I just, I, I meant to I do it, it that I day it. and I, I didn't. I didn't Or I did it and I forgot to put it on my card. Don't, don't just be a banker and just say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, honey. I hope next week you'll remember, mm. you know, you're, just, you're not emotional about it. And, yeah. and money comes out. And you say, now, do you want your money in cash or do you want to just put it in the bank and let it grow? And the child can decide. And over time, they'll say, well, give me half of it and I'll leave half of it in to get interest. Or they'll say, oh, I need to buy something this week. I'll take it all that I've earned this week. And now you've got the basic 
tools in place to start teaching because they're earning money. They perceive it as their money. Now they have to begin to buy more things. And the other part of this formula is turn over a lot of the purchasing to them. You would rather have your money go through them and have them make purchase choices than to just buy everything for them yourself. Okay, what if their choices aren't the smartest? Like I'm thinking of that getcha machine with the claw that you put the dollar in, it drops down, it never grabs the toy you want it to grab, you're a dollar out, and then you're just putting more and more quarters into this machine. I'm not speaking from personal experience or anything, but maybe that sucked my <laughs> allowance back in my eight-year-old life. What if we don't, how, how can we help them be be smart about their purchases or is that not our business? Do we let them fully decide what they do with that money? No, that's part of the deal. You want them to make mistakes because when their money's gone, it's gone. I mean, when we first started this, our 10-year-old went out and bought these beautiful jeans that she dreamed of her whole life, designer jeans for $90 or something. Uh And then, then on Saturday, she wanted to go to the movie with the kids and it's like, oh, oh, mom, could you give me some money to go to the movie? Because gosh, I spent all my money on jeans. No, honey, sorry. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you're that's what you're doing this for when your money's gone, your money's gone. Yeah. It really has been. You so actually, fun. Brooke, you actually, I mean, think of this. Making a mistake at age eight is a lot and learning from it is a lot better than making it at age 18 when they're away at college there and someone sent them a credit card in the mail and yeah. you didn't even know about it. And they're and now their mistakes are expensive. Your analogy is perfect. If I had a kid who was putting quarters in that machine, I would just turn the other way and (laughs) smile. That's when you say the banker's out. I'm just going to step aside and let this man do his business. Yeah, it's done. Well, Linda, you touched on a word earlier. Oh, yes, go ahead. There's one caveat to that. The legal system always prevails Yeah, that's over really the answer. The economy. So if a child wants to go buy a tank top and you've got or a rule that they have to dress modestly, yeah. then the rule, the family legal system always prevails over the economy. Mm. But you still have some control. System and order. I like this. I like this. Linda, you touched on a word earlier that I, I want to say it's been a buzzword for more than a decade, and it's still on parents' brains, and that is entitlement. And you two co-authored a book called The Entitlement Trap, I want to say 11 or 12 years ago, but people are still talking about it. Does this system fight against that pull of entitlement that we're so worried about our kids and our grandkids developing or demonstrating? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is the reason we did this book, because we could see the damage that was being done by kids being just handed money. You know, our parents came through the depression. Mm-hmm. So we were, you know, using every tablespoon of mayonnaise and every, you know, bite of butter and all that yeah. at our house. We're very conservative and Richard's family as well. But now it is just so easy to give kids money. I mean, maybe now after the pandemic, it won't be as easy. And this is a good time to start this, but it really is interesting that kids really just expect that I want this now and I don't want to have to work for it and I don't want to have to pay for it. Just give it to me. And there's so much of that and tantrums when they don't get what they want. So we have found parents' eyes light up when they think, 
hey, maybe we could really have a system where they could really earn their own. My sisters and I were just talking over the weekend and we are laughing because we all have memories of pulling up to the Golden Arches McDonald's and our our parents saying, no, you can't have a a Happy Meal. You don't need the whole meal. We can just have a cheeseburger. And we laughed about that because, I mean, the Happy Meal was what, $1.50 more? But as a parent, I gave pause to that childhood story thinking, when was the last time, you know, I I did maybe demonstrate a small sacrifice to my kids that, that they will remember, right? And maybe that teaches the frugality or the anti-entitlement that we're hoping to promote. Well, you're you're right in bringing up that book. I mean, the, the essence of the entitlement trap is this system, but the, the, the preface part of the book is essentially saying entitlement is a very, very serious problem. If a child has an entitlement attitude, it robs him of his motivation. It robs him of his generosity. It robs him of his respect for other people. Entitlement is almost the worst kind of attitude a child yeah. can have. It's like, look, look at me. And think of the word itself, Brooke. I mean, it comes, it comes from royalty. It, you're, you're entitled if you're the prince and you're going to become the king. And that's how a lot of these kids act because they've never learned to have to work or to have to earn or to have to save. Or to be motivated themselves. And I, I want to go back just a little bit because part of this system, we evolved because we got so tired of getting our kids, trying to get our kids to get up out of bed, get their uh, their jobs done or mm-hmm. get their, uh, their music practice done or whatever. And um, we just got so exhausted of doing that, that we, that became part of the system. So we had a little pegboard at the time and the first peg they put in was when they could get themselves up in the morning, get ready to go out, find their shoes. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to go to school in the summer with moon boots. It is really, <laughs> I mean, you know, it was, there were specific things they needed to do in the morning themselves, get themselves up. I mean, I was so frustrated. At one time, I had a spray bottle that I'd go down to one child who would not wake up. (laughs) And I think that became, so it was their job. We started saying, we don't want this job anymore. We want you to have this job now. It is your job. If you want the peg and if you want your money, you got to do it. And Brooke, your, your point earlier, and it is always the first question people have when we present this, well, we shouldn't pay them to do things they should be doing anyway. Uh-huh. Get over that because the way the world works is there's always little incentives. Sure. There's, you, know, you, can, you can have talks with kids and say, look, obviously you kids are old enough to know we're a family. We do things because we live in the same house because we love each other. But that doesn't mean you can't have a little bonus if you get this done on your own without me having to tell you to do it. And so the whole thing becomes a little extra incentive and it gives you a means whereby kids can have money that they say, this is my money. I earned it. You want the kid to think of that money just as if he earned it on a paper route or earned it by mowing lawns or earned it by babysitting. You did something to earn this money. It's yours now. Now they can learn about budgeting and about spending and about being careful. And they'll learn by their mistakes. And, you know, I think this all started because my mother paid me to practice. Did she? I practiced, yep. I practiced two and a half hours a day at the time I was in high school. Is this piano? Violin, an hour and a half on the violin, violin, an hour on the piano oh, every wow. day. But the kicker was I bought my own clothes. And if I didn't practice, 
I was in rags. I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't have anything to wear. I really wanted to do that to get that. And uh, interestingly, I ended up a music major um, at college because, you know, it, it worked both ways. It paid off, no pun intended. Right. And I, a lot of people would not think, one of our daughters like, no, I'm never having my kids buy their own clothes. And so, you know, you have to decide that. Sure, but there sure. are things that they, the I wants that they really need to earn. Well, that alone is such a bonus, Brooke. I mean, how many times, this is just coming for you as your kids get older, you take them in a store and they want everything. Can I have this? Can I have that? Can I have this? And they'll come to you later. Well, can you get me this? Can you get me that? And it's such a wonderful thing as a parent to establish this family economy. And then the answer is always yes, of, co- of course you can have it. Do you have right. enough in right. your account? Oh, you don't have enough? Oh, well, then you'll have to wait a while. You'll have to save a little more. But sure, you can have it. You just need to get enough money to buy it. It's always nice to be the yes mom, but there, there's that hook there that, that promotes the responsibility and the anti-entitlement. And back to that word, I love how you broaden the definition, Richard. I mean, more than just money in a bank, more than just purchases or fiscal responsibility, you use the word generosity. This is a system that teaches, it really shapes the whole human, right? We're shaping someone with an eye set on responsibility, but also I love the word generosity. I'm thinking of service, how you can help others through your efforts and through your means. This really broadens beyond just family finances. Well, imagine imagine a little child. I mean, just think about this as a case study. They, they see, they're watching TV and they see the famine in Ethiopia or something. And they come to you and they say, mom, let's give some money to those poor children. That's a wonderful impulse. That's a generous impulse in a child. But imagine the difference between that, and this happened to us a couple of times, and it was so poignant, a child coming and saying, Dad, I saw that famine. I want to I take $20 out of my money in the family bank, and I want to send it to those children. Well, I think actually we... One of our family laws, and we haven't mentioned that yet, is um, we required them to, it was called 10, 20, 70. So they had to give 10% of what they got. They had to save 20% of what they got, and they could spend the other 70%. I mean, that was the basic rule, but then they could make up their own stuff. I mean, sure. we have we had a daughter who, you know, gave 20%. Um, it really was amazing to see mm. how often oh, I, I can send this or I can help this person if I do this or anonymously or do something fun with giving giving away just not even to Ethiopia, but to a neighbor or, you but, know, anonymous. But none of that works without ownership. And, that, and that's right. really your perceptive, Brooke, because you go beyond just the obvious things and you say, what's the real principle at work here? It's ownership. If a child feels like I own that money because I earned it, that's what opens the door to generosity and savings and motivation and so on. And it begins to carry over to other things. If they can, if they bought a shirt instead of you buying it for them, guess what? They'll hang the shirt up because they know it costs $20 and they earned the money that paid for that shirt. And then the ownership starts spreading to things like grades. Well, it's my class. It's my grades. I, I, own, I own my homework. I own my, you know, the, the, the idea of ownership is what we all want to instill in our children. And why not start it with something as simple as money and the things you buy and the things you own? Oh, I could talk to you two forever. Let me ask one more question if I can in closing. What about the parents who might be listening saying, 
wish I would have done that when my kid was eight or nine or 10. And now I'm looking at a 15-year-old thinking, we missed the boat. Did we blow it? How could, how could you put these themes or these values into practice, even with a, a teenager that maybe we didn't, you know, punch it home as strongly as we would have liked to when they were younger? Oh, great question. You know, so many parents say this because they do have teenagers in their home. And what we've suggested is starting where you are and saying, listen, you are only going to be in our house for two more years and then you are going to be on your own. We really want to teach you how to deal with money. And this is the way we're going to do it. And then make, you know, make your own rules for kids that age. But it really is, it works. We've seen parents do it like, yes. I mean, start saving for college or whatever. You know, there's, there's so many things you can do with teenagers if you just change the rules. But you have to sit down and have a meeting and make sure everybody's on board. You can't just come on down and say, okay, now we're going to change your lives. Um, you know, you've got, you've really got to have everybody on board with this system because it is important that these kids don't show up at college when there's a credit card in their, their mailbox first thing, because they know right. who the parents are, you know, right. they, they know they can use it and to teach him really how to deal with yeah, it. Yeah, Linda, Linda got that exactly right, Brooke. If you've got a 15-year-old and you say, hey, you know, you're going to be off to college in three years, this is a this is a little game in a way, but we want to play it with you and the family, and we want you to earn everything you get. We want, we, we'll set it up so you'll have more spending money than you would have otherwise if you follow through and if you're motivated, but we want you to begin to buy all of your own things because mm -hmm. that'll get you ready for when you're gone. And oh my gosh, we've got some amazing stories of that from people we we've, we've taught these principles to. One guy just fairly recently called and said, you know, we modified our family bank and we said, the money you save in there, we will pay you 10% per quarter interest. I mean, that, that compounds to double the money every couple of years. But he said, the catch is, that money is designated for college. Mm. And when you go away to college, that will have grown to a level that you'll go in to the bursar's office and write out a portion of your tuition. And it's back to ownership. Now you own your education because you're paying for it. We had we heard from one of our daughters who went to Wellesley, an expensive liberal arts college in Boston. And she, and she was paying a portion of her own tuition and she said, Dad, it's interesting. I've got three roommates. And I asked them the other night, they don't even know how much this costs. They never see the, the, their parents just pay it. I'm so glad that I know what it's worth and that I'm able to pay part of it myself. Oh, those and are awesome things stories. Too, Brooke, if we have a moment, yeah, I think going into the grandparents, I mean, even as grandparents, we now, of course, we have no control over the kids' money, but we do have a little system where we can give grants to kids. Like if they want to do, you know, a summer camp or oh, something. I love that. They have to write a grant proposal to us. And we have a <laughs> granddaughter that did a PowerPoint proposal. Oh, <laughs> smarty. And instead of just giving the kids the money, you know, or making them earn all of it, you know, it's really hard for kids that age. Just offer half. I mean, we'll pay half if you'll come up with half, if you can come up with a great grant proposal. Oh, I love that. And I think that it kind of goes on through so that it's not just a giveaway 
forever. Oh, I love that. I love both of you. And I've just been sitting here marveling that I know these are principles you've been teaching for years now, but isn't it amazing? Even as technology changes and the world shifts, these sound parenting principles are still serving us. And you're serving them up so patiently, like, we've been talking about this for a while, people, and we're grateful we had the chance to listen. Where can we get more from you? Where can we hear more Iyers is always a good thing, in my opinion. Well, I think the, the entitlement trap book, uh, you're right, Brooke, it's 10 years old, but it's still available yeah, and, and we love Amazon. it. And we've also taken sort of the essence of it and put it on valuesparenting.com. If people just want to go there, they can learn more about a family economy. But I'm going to try to give you a tag right at the end. And this this is something for parents to remember. You give your children more by giving them less. We, you, you know, parents do what they do out of generosity and out of feelings that they want to give their kids everything. But, but unwise giving is what creates entitlement attitudes. And so think of a way to give your children less, but to give them more opportunity to earn and to become independent. That's a beautiful bow on a really inspiring conversation. It always is. Richard and Linda Iyer, thank you so much. Thank you, Brooke. You are always so amazing. I'll tell those of you at home, if you want more from Richard and Linda Iyer, a couple other resources we'll share with you. They mentioned valuesparenting.com. They also have a podcast, Iyer's On The Road. You can dial into that wherever podcasts are available. And I was so honored to have Richard and Linda as some of our in-studio guests on Family Rules, the TV show. That was season one, episode 10. If you want to dial back, we had a great conversation about being an invested grandparent, how you can roll up your sleeves and have influence and inspire the next generation through your grandparenting efforts. So I think you'd appreciate that conversation as well. You can find that in the Family Rules archives at byutv.org. That does it for us today. Thanks for listening. If you found this conversation helpful or inspiring, we'd invite you to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you listening in. We'll see you next time. Family Rules, the podcast is a production of BYU Broadcasting.